Welcome to the Self-Care Goddess Podcast, brought to you by me, Rita Savoya, founder of Savoya Self-Care Holistic Wellness. I'm a certified nutritionist and a holistic wellness coach for midlife women who want to rediscover their happier, sexier selves naturally without pills or side effects so that they can thrive as they age. I'm also the creator of the Savoya Self-Care Method, empowering women to nurture heart, mind, and body for transformative results. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to help millions of midlife women become their own health heroes. As a woman entrepreneur and a caregiver to aging parents, I fully understand the many responsibilities and generally stressful times women are living through these days, often suffering in silence, misunderstood, and putting themselves last. That's why each week I will be here for you, guiding you on your personal wellness journey, sharing expert advice from thought leaders on natural, practical, and simple solutions to help you thrive during the midlife transition. Get ready to listen to inspiring conversations about all things wellness, nutrition, mindset, mental health, fasting, hormones, menstrual cycle awareness and sinking, ancient healing strategies like meditation, mindfulness and breath work, and spirituality. Every month, I will also be featuring a small to medium-sized business to help spread the word on the amazing work they're doing so we can support them. And now, without further ado, let's get ready to rumble. Happy listening! Hello, my lovely self-care goddesses and health seekers as well. Hope you're doing amazing today and welcome to another episode of the Self-Care Goddess podcast. Today, we have a very, very interesting topic that we're going to be discussing. I'm really excited about it and I'm sure a lot of you have not heard much on it. So that's why I'm here today with an awesome guest that will actually share his experiences and the work that he's doing in this amazing field. So before we start, as usual, um, we're going to start with a quick coherence technique, just to get us a breathing technique, just to get us in the mood, get us settled, get us, allow us ourselves to check in with our breath, bring some awareness to our breath. So I invite everyone, our listeners, if you're driving, please do not close your eyes or operating heavy machinery, but you can still participate in this amazing activity to go within. So let's just check in with our body, maybe roll our shoulders a couple of times, back and front, and just relax your body, sink into the surface beneath you, and begin taking deep belly breaths in through the nose, and out through the nose. Deep belly breaths coming in through the nose and out through the nose, checking in with how are you feeling today, tuning out the outer world and just being here right now. Nowhere to go, nowhere to be, nothing to do but just be with your breath right now. And if it's comfortable, I invite you to lower your gaze or perhaps even close your eyes and go even deeper into this experience. And as you continue this deep belly breathing, I invite you to focus the attention in the area of the heart, perhaps even placing your hand there. And as you continue this heart-focused breathing, 
I invite you to visualize someone or something that you're grateful for today. What is it that you're grateful for? Send them appreciation and gratitude for being in your life. And allow that gratitude to go beyond them and to other people that you love and admire and appreciate in your life. Inhale one more time in through the nose. And exhale. Open your eyes and welcome. So today we'll actually be talking about soil health. And our soil, I hate to break the news, the bad news, bring the bad news to you, is that it's dying. And we tend to focus on issues such as fossil fuels or water or you know our fight for climate action. But oftentimes the quality of our soil and soil health gets left in the dust, but not today. Today we're gonna bring that to our attention and to your attention with the help of Sanjay Lanka. So welcome. He is an assistant professor of accounting at the Fondación Getúlio Vargas, EASB in Sao Paulo, Brazil. He is also a member of faculty in the Sesame Master's Program at Kobe University in Kobe, Japan, teaching sustainability management. Sanjay's research interests are in the area of agroecology accounting, which deals with the sustainability of the food system. This includes looking at the nexus of water, energy, and climate. Sanjay is open to working with organizations to navigate these challenges to meeting the needs of our food system through consulting as well as executive education. So welcome, Sanjay. Thank you so much for taking the Namaste. time to, to be with us and sharing this space with us. Um, so I'm really, really excited. We haven't had a guest um, yet to talk about soil health, so you'll be the first one. So you can pave the road. And, uh, and yes, I always love to start with, tell us your story, why, you know, why are you doing what you're doing and, and your particular interest in agroecology accounting and what is that exactly? So I'm really interested to know. So welcome. Great. Thank you, Rita, for having me. It's great to chat with you about this very important topic, uh, the health of our soils. So uh, I'm going to try and be brief, but also try and be a little detailed in the sense of because obviously uh, my background is I'm actually a mechanical engineer and I studied engineering. And of course, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for some time. And I also worked in the market research, so like operations research, market research, you know, working, consulting with companies. Right. And so I worked with companies in the food industry. And of course, I studied in market research. We looked at the pharmaceutical industry growing in India. I focused in India. And uh, what we saw was that we were getting a lot of new uh, diseases, um, especially uh, the increase of diabetes, right? Mm -hmm. Which wasn't there maybe a generation or two ago to that extent. And of course, you know, the pharmaceutical companies were initially interested in doing the market research to find out, is this really a problem? What's the scale of this problem? What do we need to do? How can we solve it? Right? Exactly. And then if you see the problem of obesity and type 2 diabetes just suddenly rocketing. And then when I was in the industry, the pharmaceutical industry, no longer doing market research, the same companies that were paying us to do market research we're now developing, you know, uh, drugs to 
cure these diseases, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, and then from there, of course, I luckily worked in the food industry as well. Uh, and uh, fortunately, I by then I had moved to Salinas, California, which is kind of the salad bowl of the United States, probably the Northern uh, American continent almost, right? So we produce a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables and, and so on. And then uh, I started working as a consultant here with, with farmers, and we already saw some of the challenges with the use of pesticides and herbicides and, you know, um, also the excessive use of fertilizer. And I learned a lot of things, like, for example, 90% of fertilizer actually doesn't uh, do what it's supposed to do, which is, you know, grow our food. It actually goes into the soil and into our water system, right? Huh. Interesting. So, so these <laughs> kinds of issues, uh, and of course, you know, obviously farmers don't get these things for free. Mm -hmm. They spend a lot of money buying these things. And it seems that uh, in the last 20 years or so, uh, glyphosate, for example, which is the most used herbicide in the world, uh, its use had to keep going up, right? Because they have to use more because, you know, what they used to use before is not good enough. And so, you know, this is kind of the background of I work, me working as an engineer in pharmaceuticals, doing some market research work, and then of course, becoming a small business, you know, business consultant uh, and trying to understand what are the challenges, right? So uh, in that context, you could say that that brought me to agriculture, but it also brought me to the relationship between climate change and agriculture, right? So generally when we say climate change, people think about, you know, oil and gas, cars, uh, you know, uh, big industry, mining, maybe coal. People don't think agriculture is the problem, mm -hmm. right? And again, I'm not saying agriculture is the only problem, but it's all connected, right? So this nexus between how we produce our energy and then because we use oil and gas, we actually use oil and gas byproducts to make uh, ammonia uh, and we use ammonia to make urea which is what we use as our fertilizer, mm -hmm. right? That's nitrogen, right? Mm -hmm. So so there is kind of the science behind it, but coming back to why did we develop this science? So again, this is because we had these industries and smart people who want to make more money think of ways to make more things out of the things they already have, right? So, so you could say we started using oil and gas and then suddenly somebody said, you know what, that stuff that we throw away, we don't need to throw that away. We could use it for something else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, that's, that's really, so looking at climate change, how do we mitigate climate change? Obviously we know climate change is real. I mean, hopefully we're, we're not having that conversation. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not right. So, uh, knowing the science behind it. So what we're seeing is these increasing droughts, these changes in climate. And then on the other side is our industrial agriculture system where we're using all of these dangerous chemicals and, um, you know, even some, some cases, artificial inputs, right? So again, we can talk about genetically modified foods, for example, where we're actually changing the, you know, the basic uh, organism itself, right? And, and it's not nature doing it somebody doing it in the lab. And the point is that the real reason why we need to restore our biodiversity, and that's really what I got into, and that was my PhD, connecting kind of biodiversity restoration to the livelihoods of farmers, right? Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, and what we found, at least in my research, and I worked with coffee farmers in uh, Costa Rica, in Nicaragua, in India, and of course, uh, recently started working with, uh, you know, groups that are working with farmers in Brazil as well. And the challenges are the same, right? So what, what they're seeing is that when they used to get rainfall before, it changes every year. They don't know when it's going to come. And so, you know, water becomes a huge issue, right? And then uh, when they don't get rainfall, then, you know, they're not able to grow the crops and they are obviously, that's their livelihood, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, now what is happening is there are new technologies being offered as, you know, climate smart agriculture is a term that's used. And what it is, is really the, uh, in my opinion, a, another way of saying basically industrial agriculture. But because, you know, we know that using pesticides, et cetera, some of us are starting to learn that it's dangerous. So instead of uh, shifting to, you know, using the resources of nature and biodiversity, you know, they want us to buy their products, right? So, so that's why they're using the phrase climate smart. So we, oh, wow, it's smart against climate change then? Uh -huh. <laughs> but it's... Yeah, Interesting right? play so, of words, yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So coming back to, so agroecology, therefore, is the agriculture uh, which is in line with ecology, right? Okay. In a simple way to understand it. So agroecology accounting, therefore, is the accounting of how you as a farmer could, obviously, you need to make a living, right? But yes. then you also need to think about what's the quality of the food that's being grown, because we have a lot of laws uh, in the U.S. and around the world, right? Uh, so you have organizations uh, like the Food and Drug Administration, which are responsible for ensuring the quality of the food, the safety of the food. And then you have organizations like the Environmental Protection Agency that are in charge of deciding what are the pesticides that can be used, what are the you know, uh, inputs that can be used that will be safe, right? Hmm. So uh, in this kind of situation, uh, unfortunately, it seems the evidence, at least, and this is part of the research that I've been doing, and this is public information. You can just Google the case against uh, Monsanto in California, and you'll find the court records, right? And it's so scary, and um, I think it's also eye-opening. I'd ask people to go have a look. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, don't believe what somebody else is telling you because yeah. it's all out there. I mean, it's the court mm -hmm. record, right? Mm -hmm. And and the evidence is very clear that more and more people are, uh, you know, winning cases against Monsanto, not just in California, but across probably the U.S. Again, you know, uh, more in, I would say, the liberal parts of the world mm -hmm. uh, where the judges are actually open to these kinds of things, right? But and the point many, is... Are, are, they, are these farmers or individual people? These are a range of people. So what's happened is glyphosate or what was called or still called Roundup, which is the brand name, right? Yes. Uh -huh. And Roundup is the most used herbicide in the world. Mm -hmm. And it was used not only by farmers on the farms, but it was also used by, you know, uh, the average family in their backyard or in schools. So the first famous Roundup case was actually a gentleman who was working in a school being the, you know, the caretaker of the facilities, right? Mm -hmm. So the lawns and the football fields and everything. And so over our 20 year period, he used glyphosate and nobody ever told him it was dangerous. Mm -hmm. And of course he got uh, non-Hudgens lymphoma, which is the cancer that is now associated with the use of glyphosate, right? So, so I mean, obviously this is not a conclusive thing yet in the sense 
that yes, we've had cases, but obviously uh, there's a there's thousands of class action lawsuits right now, right? And I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not gonna get into, you know, we don't know what's gonna happen, but at least so far, right, based on the cases that have been decided. Uh, in fact, just this week, I, in fact, uh, earlier this week, I was looking at uh, the news from Germany, right? So again, from a business point of view, this is huge because 250 institutional investors have sued Bayer, the German company, because Bayer actually bought Monsanto. Monsanto, yeah, they joined and forces. And they knew that you know this was uh, a company that was having uh, all these liabilities, right? Okay. All these court cases. So what happens to those liabilities, not to those court cases, because they've been so bought. now it's it's all Bayer's responsibility. Right? Okay, all right. I thought they so. Were, obviously, they the, the the owners of Bayer and the shareholders of Bayer are not happy about that because Bayer lost half its value after it bought monsanto uh -huh. so what kind of a deal is that exactly yeah plus the liability potential liability of these court cases nobody knows it's in the billions of dollars mm -hmm. right but it because tells you something right that it tells you something whether it's a correlation or a causation there's definitely something happening with the use or exposure to this chemical and um, health concerns yeah so here actually the causation has been evidenced by independent studies and in fact the problem started when the uh world health organization came out and called it a human carcinogen mm -hmm. so and that's so why they, is it still being used <laughs> so actually the good news is this week the election just happened in germany okay and so germany has promised that by 2023 it will stop using glyphosate 2023 why so long why such a well because the uh 80 of the land that's farmed is actually farmed by these large corporations right mm -hmm. so they don't know how to do agriculture wow and mm -hmm. so this is in fact i'll tell you another interesting story which i think is relevant and it's a good story because i think people will hear in the news maybe that this year sri lanka tried to go organic right? okay oh, i love sri lanka i've been there Mm -hmm. Yeah, so beautiful country, right? Yes. And then they decided that they don't want to use these chemicals and they understood about glyphosate. In fact, Sri Lanka is one of the first countries to ban glyphosate. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. So, but what happened, they uh, still depend on, on this kind of industrial model, right? Most of their farmers use pesticides and fertilizer, which is inorganic, so not natural. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is when you shift from uh, this industrial model, to kind of natural farming, let's call it, or, mm -hmm. you know, using nature, then what happens is it's like somebody who's suddenly going off a medication, right? So mm. there's withdrawal symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so the land requires two to three years to restore itself, right? Okay. And so the problem is when a whole country decides without maybe the people making the decisions, understanding agriculture and this system, uh, it would cause chaos. So. Uh, a few months ago, Sri Lanka's president just decided we're going organic, but nobody told him or nobody said, hey, listen, you can't do that because mm -hmm. that will drop the yield of all the soil, right? So you don't want to do that all of a sudden. And they did. So obviously, it created a negative uh, publicity to agriculture or sustainable farming. Because yeah. if you don't know that, you know, you just can't take somebody who's in the, you know, emergency room and pull the pull them off the machines right mm -hmm. saying oh you're okay <laughs> that doesn't no, work no that's going to take time okay. it's going to take time so i think that's the big
lesson also for me in terms of like the biggest lesson I've learned is that just because the information is out there uh, doesn't mean everybody's actually paying attention to it mm -hmm, because we sure. are living in the age of what I would we all know is the age of fake news right so you know the whatsapp message and so on and people just believe it and you know I know this especially with my time in Brazil because data is very expensive in Brazil right mm -hmm. so the average person cannot afford to go onto the web and check what mm -hmm. they're seeing on their WhatsApp forward. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Whereas WhatsApp is free. WhatsApp yes. is free. Mm -hmm. So yes. the, the the whatever news that's going around, uh, it's going around because it's it's free to move. But you know, if somebody like you or me wants to check and see, this is again where I think the challenge is with uh information, right? How the universities produce this information with public money, but magically they go off behind locked doors. You know all these journals uh you know the average person just can't go online and find the paper that will tell them what i'm telling you right the point is that all this is information that uh universities and governments and people have funded mm -hmm. right this research to improve our health and why is it that people don't know about these things right so i agree with you it's, it's so why are these things still legal mm -hmm. right so it's because people don't know right mm -hmm. imagine if on the news every day you yes. got the data on, you know, just like we have the pandemic numbers. Yep. You'd be surprised the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma numbers mm -hmm. are probably comparable to the pandemic numbers, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, think about the millions. I mean, over 600 million people at least are farmers around the world, right? Mm -hmm. wow. So, and this is the most used herbicide by far and has been used now for over 30 years, I think. And uh, I remember once listening to Zach Bush, I'm sure you know him, he's amazing. And he was, ta he was talking about how the original, now I can't remember specifically, maybe you can help me, like the original purpose of glyphosate wasn't even to be a fertilizer, correct? Yeah, so- The origins of it? So I'll tell you a, a story which I think will, the listeners will be able to connect to this better in the sense that everybody remembers Vietnam, right? Mm -hmm. And you might have heard in Vietnam about something called Agent Orange. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Agent Orange, the chemical name is 2,4-D hydroxy something. Okay, so it's and we just call it 2,4-D. So because glyphosate has become so useless as a weed uh, killer, right? So in the last decade, in fact, in the last five to six years now, uh, Monsanto and Bayer have developed a new line of. Uh, pesticide that combines glyphosate with agent orange 2,4-D and it's legal, it's being used. Uh, and it's a mess because since it's been introduced in the Midwest of the United States, places like Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, Missouri, uh, neighboring fields are getting destroyed, right? So imagine I spray it on my land, but I'm doing it from an airplane. Yeah. And this stuff is dangerous, right? It's, I mean, it, this was used by uh, the military. <laughs> Mm -hmm. you know so so this is basically military grade stuff so that's what you're saying right so uh, glyphosate also was a similar kind of a thing that was developed uh probably during world war ii and then you know they figured out oh you know what we can use this in agriculture yeah and sell it and make money off of it well yeah i mean it's an interesting story actually the story of monsanto itself because it was created uh 
you know, right after the Great Depression, and it was created by someone who was uh, the Vice President of the United States, actually. Mm -hmm. A very interesting story, but uh, I think it warped into something else around the 1970s and 80s. Wow. Well, a lot of things changed in our food system uh, with the introduction of what we would call hybrid seeds and uh, GM technologies, right? So, I mean, in a way, our discussion about soil is really a discussion about how our food system has changed. Has been altered for sure. So genetically modified foods are here to stay. Is that something that we're going to keep doing, even though we know, like, I, I mean, even let's just maybe strip it back a bit uh, when it comes to GMOs. Um, are they as nutrient dense as, you know, the way mother nature makes it? <laughs> Actually, they have no nutritional value. Great. <laughs> so why are we making them? <laughs> so that somebody who's making them can make money from making them, right? Wow. Because wow. remember that it's it's kind of, I mean, let me explain industrial agriculture in a very simple way, right? Yes, go ahead. So what it is is a food system that, uh, because remember, first of all, the soil has biodiversity and it has yes. all the nutrition we need. Right. So if you have good soil and if I throw seeds into that soil and if I'm blessed with water and everything, then uh, and good sun, of course, then food will grow. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with that is I don't need anybody else. I don't need to buy anybody's products to do that. Unfortunately, we have this huge industry called the agrochemical industry, uh, which is related to the, you know, the oil industry, which is basically because the oil industry is the. Uh, provides the inputs to this industry, right? Mm -hmm. Which so is a byproducts. So which those chemicals, exactly. Those chemicals are actually byproducts of the oil industry. Oil right? industry, exactly. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so, so I, then this industry, because we use a lot of oil, because we yeah. have millions and billions of cars. So we have all this stuff that's being produced. So, you know, and now all these companies have gotten used to making serious money off of selling these things to us. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so what we have is basically the industrial model, which basically, you know, puts these pesticides into the soil, kills the soil. So now the soil doesn't produce, does is not alive anymore. Right. So this is what we would call soil degradation. Mm -hmm. And it's the challenge of the last probably, I'm going to say, 60, 70 years, a lot. I mean, uh, I've seen pictures from about 100 years ago of Lake Chad in Africa. It used to be this ginormous lake. Mm -hmm. And now it doesn't exist. If you look at Google, I mean, it's like gone, right? Wow. So we're losing our water. Uh, you know, we're, we're basically using up more uh, than we are uh, naturally generating, right? And again, this is the water cycle because you need the rainforest. The rainforest absorb the, you know, water vapor and convert it into rain, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So when we cut down the forest, that's and that's the other part of the story of agriculture because what's happening is when we kill the soil these guys come in with their expensive inputs the genetically modified so what they are the technology is very simple right it's a genetic modification of the seed so that it's going to survive even if you put poison right which is what the uh, toxins are the mm -hmm. bt toxin i mean mm -hmm. that's what they, it's called it's not it's not called sweet it's called toxin right mm -hmm. what does it mean it's poisonous mm -hmm. so and so glyphosate when it's sprayed on these bt crops only the bt crops survive everything else dies wow. 
And so we are thinking that it's safe for us to eat this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we're feeding our animals this stuff, and then we're feeding the animals. So think about it. It's common scientific knowledge. If you concentrate uh, so much of toxin into one animal and then you eat that, do you think that's safe? No. Mm -hmm. Right? And I mean, you know, we've had this chat before where, you know, you know from personal experience that, you know, when you eat that kind of food, you're going to be sick mm -hmm. and you need to be off of those chemicals mm -hmm. and you need to eat food that's natural, right? That doesn't have, uh, I mean, why would you want to put something that was used in wartime in, in your food? I mean, and of course, the science they believe is that glyphosate goes through your body very quickly. So really? Yeah. Or oh, there's no bioaccumulation of there, it. There's or... no bioaccumulation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, Which... you know, these kinds of things are, are not even scientific yeah. facts, right? Um, they that. do bioaccumulate. Exactly. <laughs> wow. And so, wait, okay, so where are these protection agencies? Why aren't they protecting us? Well, that's an interesting conversation. And of course, I have actually written a chapter in the book I would uh, recommend people to have a look at. Mm -hmm. um, and it's available online on ResearchGate as well. So just that chapter, you can just Google it. And it's on, it's called Autoethnography auto of a Monarch Butterfly, right? Oh, and nice. so this is where I'm, I'm really telling the story because three years ago, I've been following the monarchs for some time, mm -hmm. but it was kind of sad. I think it was December, 2019. So around this time, Mm -hmm. All the monarchs on the West Coast come here to the Monterey Bay to Pacific Grove. And that's why it's called Pacific Grove. It's the monarch's uh, grove, right? So that's why it became famous. Uh, and in the last decade, we've lost about 98% of the monarch population. Oh, no way. Wow. So two years ago, I mean, even five, six years ago, you would see like monarchs. Mm -hmm. But two years ago, it was so sad because there was... There were hardly any of them mm -hmm. they still showed up. So they're still around. Right. So this is something where I, you know, we uh, and I don't want to take it negatively because obviously they're still there. And the beauty is that the biggest population of the monarchs actually goes to Mexico. And that population is still pretty strong. I mean, even they are impacted again because of uh, of their migrations. Right. So they travel from the United States. Uh, the Midwest to Mexico. So this is the big bunch, about 70% of the population. And then the remaining 30%, which is kind of in the Rocky Mountains and West part of the US, in the winter, they go, they come here to Monterey Bay. Mm -hmm. And and so we've been tracking their populations for at least the past, you know, 50, 60 years. And it's just in the last decade, right, that their numbers dropped by 86%. And then, uh, of course, just in the last three years, their numbers dropped down to less than 1% of what they were a decade ago, right? So, I mean, I, I saw one just this summer and I was so happy to see one. And of course, mm -hmm. the way to save them and what I do is I plant the, uh, the milkweed. So the milkweed is the food of the monarch. So okay. the way we can save the monarch yeah. is if you have a little piece of land in their backyard, your front yard, plant some milkweed. And that's really what glyphosate is killing, is the milkweed. Right? Uh -huh. Because what they do is they, they spray the glyphosate onto the milkweed, which basically kills the food of the monarch, because for them, they don't want the the milkweed to survive right they want to use that land to grow corn okay. or whatever yes yeah to mass produce yeah yeah wow wow this is mind-blowing <laughs> <laughs> eye-opening mind-blowing whatever you want to call it so 
Uh, I mean, I was reading that it actually takes um, an average of 500 years to naturally build an inch of topsoil. And topsoil is like where the humus is, where the actual fertile um, soil is. And we're losing, we're losing it. This is a North America, maybe probably even the States uh, statistic, 17 times that rate. So it just seems like this is like, we're, we're going to lose, we're going to lose this, this, whatever is happening, you know, this war on soil, whatever you want to call it. So in, in your opinion, um, what is the state of our soil? <laughs> is it, is it? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you just hit the nail on the head, right? So of course that's just the U S or the North yeah. American story, but really the sad story is what has happened in Africa in the last, I'm going to say 20 years, because what happened is we destroyed the soils everywhere else already. Right. So the last continent that was left untouched was Africa. So mm. what happened was that the industrial agriculture went into Africa using the Gates Foundation, uh, an organization called the Alliance for Green Revolution in Africa. So AGRA, it's called. So as you can see, the, the word green revolution signifies the introduction of genetic technologies and all of these, uh, you know, genetic modification. Right? So using the Gates Foundation, they, uh, they entered into Africa, right? So the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation gave, I think close to over billions of dollars worth of subsidies to African governments to start using these chemicals, right? Because wow. they don't have the money to buy these things. So, you know, it's like the, what we would call in sociology, the typical trick of the, you know, the drug peddler, right? So what do you need first? You need customers. So what do you do? You give them free stuff yeah get them hooked and then you get them hooked yeah mm -hmm. so so that's the tragedy of the last decade is mm -hmm. the destruction of the soils of africa and and this is where we've already been aware of this right so but in africa's case we're actually observing it happening literally in front of our eyes right so on one hand we've had things like the earth summit which happened you know a long time ago. So we all know these things. It's not that this is hidden, right? So, but still you have organizations. Now, uh, you know, there's books that have been written about the Gates Foundation, so people can go look this up. So again, this is not just my personal opinion, right? So, and there's a lot of uh, reports. I would go to the uh, Vandana Shiva Foundation, for example, where, where they have actually recently published uh, a kind of a podcast. Well, it's actually a, a video cast showing the, the role of the Gates Foundation in Africa, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the good news is that there are already positive things happening, right? So because they've already destroyed, so now the livelihoods are destroyed. So people are wondering, well, what do we do? So the Gates Foundation formula is, you know, we don't need people owning land, small farmers. You sell your lands, move to the cities, and let us, big companies, come in and take over the land, right? So this is really the land grab that we're seeing. And this is not unique to Africa. But uh, if you look at, in fact, I, I read a paper uh, a few years back when I was doing my PhD about the number of farmers in the US 100 years ago was many more, right? So we've lost about 80% of our farming population. I don't know if that makes sense. In the sense that the farms have become bigger yes. and the number of farmers have disappeared. Right, because mm, they've so been bought is, out by these large corporations, and yeah, a lot of and actually Gates uh, became this year the large one of the largest landowners in the United States. I, I yes, I read that. Yes, and he's yeah. also or the foundation is getting into 
this vegan, non-meat um, uh, products. But yeah, <laughs> yeah makes but you I, wonder. Yeah, <laughs> but I would I would take the opportunity to warn people about those products as well. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Tell tell me why you think. Well, it's very simple, right? Because these so-called vegan products, they're actually GM exactly. soy. Exactly. I mean, that's all it is. I mm -hmm. mean, um, and I, you know, this uh, all fake meat stuff is, mm -hmm. is all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's basically something that's being made in the lab Processes. again, right? Yeah. It's so, crap. I mean, it's crap food. It's crap food. Yeah. And, and then the thing is, yeah, sorry. sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying that I would even say that, you know, somebody living in, let's say, Scotland, and they have 600 acres, and they have, you know, a half a dozen cattle, and, you know, them consuming, you know, that meat is probably a lot more sustainable than, you know, this kind of vegan stuff. Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Yes. And that's what a lot of people need to understand. Yes. Yeah. It, so it's, it's not that, you know, at the end of the yeah. day, it's still mm -hmm. manufactured. It's not natural. And, and, in my and it opinion, doesn't... Uh, it doesn't meet the climate change stuff as well, right? Because a lot of people, they talk about beef and they say, well, beef is, well, some people talk about the ethics of, of beef, but then mm -hmm. now the conversation is about how as a system, it's the most inefficient way to produce food, right? In mm -hmm. terms of uh, the use of energy, the use mm -hmm. of water. So, you know, from the climate change perspective, uh, you know, and we produce, uh, I mean, we have a whole bunch of other industries that are only there to 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 serve the beef industry things like soy for example right exactly and then you know there's a whole industry around deforestation mm -hmm. why because we're killing the soils right so then we do we, we're not able to grow the food that we need to feed our cattle so we need to cut down more rainforest so we can uh, th that fresh soil that's under the rainforest is is going to grow us the the good quality soy, which we can then feel feed the cattle, so that we can eat the cap, right? So this is this is the system in a way, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So so this is where the the GM uh, and turning that around and saying no no you can be vegan, that sounds crazy, mm -hmm. right? So, be a natural vegan, right? Exactly. You don't need to go into the these fake products, right? I mean, if you're vegan, you're not eating chicken or 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 any or meat. So why would you want like a fake chicken nugget, for example? I don't know. I just thought apples me, but <laughs> yeah. And I think this is where maybe you're, you're right. In this is the a role of the organizations, like you know the maybe the WHO, the, mm -hmm. the Food and Drug Administration. Mm -hmm. uh, you know. Uh, not but telling I think the real, is, not telling the whole story, the entire story, right? Or just telling the part that makes them look good and buy our products type of thing. Well, the, the truth of the matter is that they what they've done is they have been completely sold out in a way to the industry, right? Mm -hmm. So the tolerances that they have placed on what they define as safe food mm -hmm. is technically not safe. I mean, mm -hmm. and it's so simple. All you have to do is Google the standards for the same foods in the European Union. Exactly, yes. So and I follow the food babe. I'm not sure if you know her. Yeah, she's amazing. She always puts like a, a box of cereal from the States and one from Europe, and you'll see it's different ingredients, right? And it's and it's a lot of the ingredients that are omitted in the European uh, products, or UK for that matter, some of them, um, they're toxic. They're highly yeah. toxic products that they are allowed in the US. So. 
And this goes to show you, even when I eat uh, gluten in, in Europe, I'm actually fine. And some, I was in India and I was having full fat milk and I was fine. Yeah. Right. And it's just because the, the, obviously the cows and the soil and what they're fed and it's, yeah. it's eye-opening for sure. For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, and see, that's the part why this is because this is such a big system, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're not just talking about soil, because once you start fixing the soil, and this is where I think it's something that's not going to come from the top, it's going to have to be something grassroots, right? So yes. something that you're going to have to make a change in your community, in your family, in your circle of friends. With uh, our dollar, and, right? With our dollar, with what we And you're actually going to save money, actually, yeah. right? Well, how, okay, so why why is, so this makes the, the actual case for buying organic food, local food, getting to know your farmers, like we always talk about that, how important that is to eat in season, just like our grandmothers and, you know, grandparents used to eat. And so why um, is organic food so expensive? Because the case for buying organic is there. And I, and I always say, say to my clients as well, spend the money now rather than later. So I know it's expensive, but you'd rather spend it now than eating food that's not nutrient dense. I had no idea that genetically modified food had zero nutrients. I thought it actually, they, they would, you know, inject them with something, with some sort of vitamin or mineral, but they don't do that at all, which no. is surprising. Yes. So, um, so why is organic um, food so expensive to, to grow? Okay. So first of all, let me also, uh, say out loudly first that organic is not fully kosher right yeah. because the problem with organic in the us for example is that it's grown around mm -hmm. a lot of land that's using a lot of pesticides right so mm -hmm. in the us what's happening is even organic food we are facing the situation of trace elements of the dangerous the chemicals, chemicals even in them yeah. of course a lot lower right mm -hmm. so what we're going to seep into the soil or air uh, you know air well waste. it's it's basically you know you have planes flying these yeah. chemicals in the air right so it's, it's i mean i can tell you i live less than five miles away from farmland mm -hmm. and so when they spray we have to close our doors otherwise you know we will wow yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. so i mean we're not far away from farm country i mean i live basically in the solid bowl of the of the u.s right mm -hmm. so we grow a lot of vegetables and fruit here so yeah it's scary mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure you know that uh, strawberries for example the ones that are not organic are the ones with the highest uh yeah. contamination right about 56 different toxins or something crazy like yeah that. so so they are the mm -hmm. ones that yeah so definitely going back to the organic conversation in terms of cost. So two things, right? First is what's the cost short-term versus long-term, mm -hmm. right? Because if you donate organic, unfortunately, you are going to face serious problems of health. Mm -hmm. Again, let's hope a miracle happens and you don't. But I mean, if you're putting chemicals into yourself and hoping for the best, that's not really good, right? <laughs> so that's one thing. The second thing is not everybody's fortunate. Like where I live in Salinas, because we are in sort of uh, farm country and and we have here a group that have been training small uh, farm workers to become organic farmers and so we have like a group a community of uh, of that and then in the us and i'm sure in canada other places you might have farmers markets right yes yes so that's what we have so not far away from where i live we have a weekly farmers market and pretty much if i drive around 
every day of the week, I can find a farmer's market not too far away. So I'm lucky in that sense, right? So, but a lot of these farmer's markets are uh, farmers who are organic, right? Mm -hmm. And, but because they are cutting out the middlemen, right? And so you're buying directly from them, they're directly selling to you. So there's no third party involved taking their cut, right? So that's the thing that I would advise you to do to de develop those kinds of relationships. Right? Uh -huh. Communities, right? Yeah. yeah. So for example, about a decade ago, when I was, I, I got brought in to be a trainer for the farmers, like kind of how to sell their stuff and do some like a business plan, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at that point, one of the farmers, they themselves had figured out that they had customers and they were giving their customers their cell phone number. And so they had developed a system where they would go once a week to all their customers' homes and drop off a box of vegetables, right? Okay. At a good price, mm -hmm. organic vegetables. Mm -hmm. And so when people found out, I mean, basically this guy sells to 250, 300 people a week, right? Mm -hmm. So one delivery a week and there is no intermediary. Right. So there's no retail store and, you know, there's no excuse to say, I don't want to go to the farmer's market because guess what? He'll come and drop it off at your doorstep. Yes. No excuse. Yes. So, we have so similar you know, services. Yes. In Canada. Yeah. So this is the type of things that I think, I mean, we've already done it here in California and I know people are doing, I mean, I worked on projects similar in India. In fact, a few years ago we did, uh, well, not quite home delivery, but, you know, connect, creating a um, community, working with people producing the land and then the families, because you have to remember that there are unfortunately millions of people today whose children and families are impacted by these dangerous chemicals, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not a question of can they afford it? They, they need that help, right? Mm -hmm. So because, as you say, organic food is so expensive, that's where we need to create communities, especially in inner city communities, places where children can have access to growing their own food, right? Mm. So why aren't we doing that in our schools? Why aren't exactly. we teaching our kids in our schools, you know, about healthy food? Because I can tell you it's not a positive thing to say, but, you know, this negative, uh, you know, all these dangerous chemicals will have a bigger impact when a woman is pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. When the children are young. I mean, that's when they're growing. So, I mean, I've had a lot of my students tell me, look, I might not eat organic food, but, you know, I have a baby girl and I'm only yes. feeding her organic, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, because we know the, these things, but the only challenge is the cost. So then the, the, the solution is we have to figure out uh, in our communities, because the problem is that at least in the United States, we somehow figured out to create the most expensive healthcare system in the world. <laughs> and it's not even the best one, right? Mm -hmm. So we just like to throw money at things and think it's going to solve it. And then people don't ask questions. Well, we are spending more than anybody else in the world. Well, hold on. Um, do we have the best results than anybody else in the world for throwing the best money in the world at it? No. Mm -hmm. Right. So then maybe throwing money at it is not the solution. Right. So, so I, I love I love that how you've given us um, some hope <laughs> in terms of seeking out what's happening locally in your community and with farmers markets and maybe perhaps building a community or I know in Canada for sure in, in the Toronto area, there is this uh, company called Mama Earth and mm -hmm. they will deliver um, uh, weekly 
in season locally grown produce and fruit. Um, yeah, so fruits and vegetables. And they actually even give you a recipe, which is really cool. Pretty sure that that's them. But there's plenty of those. So that's something to do um, yeah. as an individual or as a family. I mean, that that's hope. That's and that's easy, right? Yeah, and I would also say that organic itself is expensive, right? So mm -hmm. the reason it's expensive is not because the system of production is expensive, but because the certification is expensive, right? Oh, so why are we paying? So it's so to me, it's like upside down. So you use all these chemicals, yeah, and then you don't have to tell me that you're using them or yeah. how much you're using them, and then that food is subsidized. Yes. And then I'm trying to grow food, not using any chemicals. And then I have to spend an arm and a leg to validate that I'm not using anything, right? Well, so the point is that you created process. a system yeah. that basically makes me go out of business trying to show that I'm doing the right thing. Wow. Wow. That is sad. That is really sad. So, but that's where I believe the community can play a role because mm -hmm. fortunately this idea came out of the state of Santa Catarina in Brazil. And mm -hmm. I remember I met these ladies from uh, Brazil in 2017, at the Organic World Congress. And they were telling me that what they did in Santa Catarina, because they figured out this organic stuff is, they were smart ladies. And they said, you know, we're not going to pay anybody else for them to validate that we are doing a good job. Because mm -hmm. we are, and they said this in Portuguese, you know, nuestra comunidade. So we are a community. Mm -hmm. So if we are 20 women, and then we will go to each of our mm -hmm. farms and we will sign a piece of paper saying that my neighbor, for example, let's say Rita is one of our members mm -hmm. and the rest of us, 19, will we'll go to Rita's farm, check her farm, make sure that she's doing a good job. And we'll sign a document saying that, you know what, she's community certified. She doesn't use any dangerous chemicals. Mm -hmm. Her food is safe. Mm -hmm. And you know what? We will buy her food. Right. Mm -hmm. So why do we need to pay somebody in Switzerland? Uh, at the organic what god knows what you know organization that's disconnected from our reality right mm -hmm. and then why do we need them to come from switzerland to come and tell us that we are treating our soil well mm -hmm. that's so right? true so it's it's democracy in reverse right it's what we would say also from gandhi you know this idea of uh ground up right mm -hmm. so so the at the and it's what we call it's real democracy in the sense that you i mean democracy not majoritarianism but at the very local grassroots level the ability for people from diverse backgrounds to sit down discuss solve their own problems for their own make their own decisions right mm -hmm. so what's good for me what's good for my you know choice with food and at that level it's really hard to corrupt people right because you are uh, family yeah. you are yes. sitting at the table together yes that is so true i love that i love that idea. so so i think that's the key and that's what we've lost a little bit i think with social media and the smartphones because what i see people and i'm sure you see them as well that they they're too much into their phones and that's why i love what the way you started your session today right so i think that's very important mm -hmm. i mean for me as well you know start your day sit down meditate you know do some breathing stay focused yes. and it's very important because uh it's there's so much being thrown at us uh and a lot of misinformation unfortunately right mm -hmm. and and that's why i mean i try not to watch tv for so i will not watch the news because i know i need to have full control over what i'm digesting right high five right here yes me too and people are always like did you hear i'm like hear what well did you hear yeah. about this and that i'm like nope i didn't and you know what when you when you hear it secondhand it's not as 
because there's yeah. no there's no scary music coming in and the person's face is all like oh we're gonna die <laughs> so I, I like to hear it secondhand or maybe even not hear it at all <laughs> i agree i agree right and yeah. um so so that that's great because you know we've talked a lot about how there's you know really it's bad news all around but there's definitely hope that we can even start in our own communities but what can at a, at a sort of macro level um mm. what can the farmers do or governments and like we've seen that obviously sri lanka has initiated yeah that. i mean actually we're talking about farmers and we didn't talk about the biggest thing happening in the world with farmers right now and which was the protest that the farmers in india did against mm -hmm. farm laws that were passed about a year ago mm -hmm. and they did a protest uh satyagraha very similar to what mahatma gandhi did during mm -hmm. the freedom struggle right so non-violent protest and mm -hmm. they sat outside the capital new delhi for over a year and finally wow. a few weeks ago the prime minister of india said you know what i'm gonna accept your request and i'm gonna withdraw the farm laws and they they were withdrawn wow so these yes. were laws that would have basically introduced monopolies into mm -hmm. the agribusiness sector and a couple of companies controlling basically uh, and cutting down the prices for farmers and so mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. i mean we could have a separate discussion just about you know the the situation of farmers but so the positive big thing in terms of what we're seeing is that now that these farmers have come together and succeeded so now the next thing that they're talking about this week is they want to ban glyphosate use in India. yes wow so they're going to continue their protests mm -hmm. and you know so this is again and the really positive news of where i did my phd in the state of andhra pradesh so that was a small cooperative of you know a few thousand coffee farmers it reached about ten thousand when i was doing my research about 10 years ago and now it's 40,000 farmers. And so they just formed, uh, of course, that was a cooperative. And this year, the cooperative's board is 50% women. And these are all indigenous farmers, right? Mm -hmm. So, and the leader of the group is a woman as well. Mm -hmm. right? so, so, and now this is the largest cohort of farmers who have converted from using chemicals to what we call natural farming. So we're not calling it organic anymore because we are doing the group certification, right? So uh -huh. the members in the community certify each other and that's it. And the idea is they're not exporting it to UK or America, they're gonna consume it locally. locally yeah. So why do they need to spend the money for certification, right? Mm -hmm. I so, love that. so now there are 700,000. So this is the largest cohort of natural non-chemical farming in the world. Um, so this cohort is grand and you can Google it. Uh, it's called AP, so that's Andhra Pradesh, that's the state. Is that BNF, zero budget natural farming because it's zero budget? Because guess what? I don't have to go buy fertilizer. I don't have to buy pesticide. Everything I use on the farm, I can make on my farm using mm -hmm. nature, right? Mm -hmm. So all these farmers' inc incomes have you know quadrupled. Um, I know farmers who are making Two thousand, three thousand dollars a year. Now suddenly they're making ten thousand. Wow! So you know, and just it's a win-win, and obviously it's healthy. Well, so that's the main thing, thing, right? So yeah. their the quality of the food is significantly Superb. better. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Now, I mean, these are things happening here in California as well, right? So because I have a friend just down the road, he's a strawberry farmer, mm -hmm. but what he did was he worked with the conservation society, so the and so they bought the farm, 
right? So the idea is that 70% of the farm is going to be conserved. So it's like, uh, you know, redwood trees and forest. And then the remaining 30%, he can farm on, but he owns the whole thing. But the, the title is set up so that 70% he can, he's not going to touch it. He's not going to farm it. Mm -hmm. right? So that's another thing that we can see happening is people coming together, raise money, buy land, and, you know, start growing trees, you know, create, um, yeah. you know, restore the, the ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And I mean, nobody else is going to do it, right? So, yes, I love it. I love it. You can take action at the micro level or support the action going on at the macro level. So there's yeah, definitely and I mean, hope. this is where you can go to your county. I mean, at least I, I don't know if, how the system is in Canada, but, you know, I'm sure you guys have county uh, supervisors and, you know, there'll be a quarterly or at least some regular meeting where, you know, what's the budget, where mm -hmm. the money is going to go. Um, and I know this is a big issue in uh, British Columbia, where they are cutting down a lot of exactly. uh, Forest, trees, which yeah. are important for the ecosystem. So, you know, mm -hmm. these kinds of things need to be done, right? Uh, and again, uh, places like Alberta, for example, obviously the oil industry is very powerful there. Mm -hmm. So talking about not using fertilizer pesticide is challenging, right? Mm -hmm. But I think there have been really uh, amazing people, even in Canada, uh, who have come out, uh, whistleblowers even, right? So yes. from the, the agencies coming out, talking about, you know, why are we still allowing these things, right? Mm -hmm. So again, you could ask Germany in 2023, they're going to ban glyphosate. So I don't know, has Canada banned glyphosate? Mm -hmm. I don't know, right? So if Germany is doing it, so shouldn't we be doing it as well? Or at least shouldn't we have a conversation? About why it? are they exactly. banning it? Exactly. Why is it dangerous, mm -hmm. right? If, mm -hmm. You know. So I think this is where, uh, again, the role of consumer behavior is important because I know Canada had elections recently, right? So, and I don't know if this was an issue, right? Yeah, so Because our either. food, our health, I mean, why aren't we having, I mean, of course, I don't know if you guys have a Green Party because, I mean, we have a Green Party here, yes. but mm -hmm. they're not very viable, uh, you know, in terms of because we have this kind of two-party system, right? So mm -hmm. most people don't even know there's a Green Party. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. so therefore you need uh, more grassroots you know action because i don't expect my two-party you know elected official to to care yes. for what i have to say about my food unfortunately because their uh bigger part of their budget to ensure they get elected is coming from the food industry and the you know and the lobby groups right i mean come on let's not be blind to that yeah and let's so, not be naive that is happening right mm -hmm. So it's important to do your own homework, to do your own research, and to take responsibility. You can't abdicate that to anybody else, you know, your government, not, not anybody else. It's really up to you for the, for the sake of yours and your family as well. And I think a lot of our listeners are, are pretty keen because they're listening to a podcast like this, right? So I think, yeah. I think it's eye-opening for sure. And you've left us with some great news. So we started a bit, you know, <laughs> dark but uh the end is like so what yeah. where, where do you see this going what sort well, of yeah where are we headed towards because there is a shift there's definitely a shift because i know a lot yeah. of people because of the pandemic they've actually sold their house in toronto or their property or whatever they were living and they actually moved um up north I, I know of a handful of people that have actually bought acres of land because they want to do this exact thing 
is to grow their own food. So there's definitely a shift and the pandemic really accelerated that shift in my opinion. So that was a good thing that happened uh, from from all of this. But I'm curious to know your opinion in terms of where we headed. What do you see? Well, I I mean, I think that there's always going to be the two groups, right? So the one who think all this is wonderful, technology is going to solve the problems. Let's not question, etc. But there's Mm. still going to be I think what I would call critical mass, uh, and as you rightly pointed out, the pandemic has opened eyes of many people whose eyes were closed, right? Yes. Because if you think about the pandemic itself, it's our mistreatment of our, what I would call the borders between nature and where we live, right? So because we are constantly pillaging, we're constantly going and destroying natural habitats, right? And mm. there's a point where in that pillage, we're also bringing into our human ecosystem uh, these dangerous uh, viruses, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we can get into a discussion, did it come from a lab? Did it come mm-hmm. from an animal? doesn't matter. The point is that it, it is there. Mm-hmm. And the point is that the things that we do of how we treat nature, it's definitely a sign that, you know, we are not treating nature well, right? And the point that I always... And I had this chat with my students and they're like, we're going to destroy the world. And I'm like, listen, guys, don't worry about the world. The world also was destroyed when the dinosaurs were destroyed, right? Mm -hmm. Dinosaurs didn't come back. The world came back. So think about the fact that we people as a species, we are the ones who've really brought us to the situation. So if anybody's going to disappear, it's going to be us. (laughs) And so we need to change. We have to stop thinking that we're somehow going to be laughing till the end. We're not, Mm. right? So we have to realize that we are shooting ourselves. It's like what you would call the famous saying of cutting the branch that you're sitting on, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then laughing about it and saying, ha, 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 this looks like a lot of fun. Well, hold on till the branch drops and your ass is on the ground, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, I mean, it's, it's, that's where we are. Uh, I think enough people have fallen on their, you know, behinds and woken up. Mm-hmm. To I think that's the critical mass where we've reached, right? I mean, if you look at COP26 just a few months ago, uh, last month uh, in Glasgow, there was a lot of protests, just like always. But people just didn't say, you know what? The governments know what they're doing. People got together and said, what? You know, we're going to do our own thing because obviously nothing going on in there is connecting with what we think is important, right? So, so I think that's where, again, the social media, the WhatsApp, all the negative can also be used for the positive, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. I mean, the, the Zoom that we're, we are able to have this nice conversation, uh, it's like we're sitting in the same place. But, you know, we're fortunately, not. no carbon emissions happen, no flights had to be taken, nothing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think one of the positives of the pandemic is people are realizing that so much mm-hmm. more can be done at a distance. Mm. Right. So this grassroots collaboration doesn't have to be geographically localized. Right. Mm-hmm. So because if you have enough number of like minded people even spread out, uh, thanks to technology, thanks to people like you, you know, doing these kinds of podcasts, more people who are thinking about the same issue suddenly are going to be, wow, you know what? He's also talking about what I'm worried about. So maybe I'm not the crazy one, right? Yeah. (laughs) Or it'll be motivating for people to take some sort of action at their level, right? Mm. Precisely. I mean, Mm -hmm. and I think this is where, again, I'm happy to say that, you know, people want to get in touch. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a good idea. You can, I'm, I'm, I'm not very active on Twitter right now. 
but usually I'm uh, posting stuff and, and things, and usually that's a good place to see what's going on. Uh, I would also recommend the new report that's come out from the UK government. It's on. It's called the report on uh, valuing biodiversity, which is really awesome. So again, when is that report going to get implemented? We don't know, but at least it's there, right? Mm -hmm. So Review. there is, uh, and it was done actually. This uh, it's called the Das Gupta report, I think, or Das Gupta review, something like that. It's a review assessment of the value of biodiversity and ecosystem services. So coming back to kind of our soil, right? That's what the soil. Uh, uh, restoration is important right because it restores life on earth yes. i mean 60 percent of life on earth is in the soil mm -hmm. wow right we're only I mean, as healthy least. as our soil right and it's just not yeah. human health is also the environment too yeah. well basically we're all part of the system it's mm -hmm. we're not as yes. i would say you know we're not sitting outside and watching the earth right i mean we're breathing this air we're drinking yes. this water eating I the mean, food from the food system the soil yeah. produces yeah it's all connected it's all connected we are not the you know sitting on ivory tower just because we're humans we're not that's what people yeah. need to realize <laughs> we are yeah and I, I mean and people especially talk about you know family values, our children, future generations, well, especially for them, right? Mm. I mean, for us right mm -hmm. now, but also for the future. Mm -hmm. And and I think a lot of people who do these things, they don't, unfortunately, spend as much time thinking about, you know, what life are they leaving their children? Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, you can also, you know, open up other discussions in terms of they're probably not present, they're not, they're distracted by other things going on. And they're not eating the right foods, so they're not connected to their bodies and, and how they feel and understanding what, what they eat is really affects them, their mood and everything else. So we can go into a whole new discussion about that as well. Um, but yes, uh, I, I really enjoyed this conversation and I, I do want to ask a few more personal questions if you don't mind. In terms of what was the best advice that you've been given, you've been ever given by a person, you know, either here or has passed? Well, I, I mean, I think it's a collection of advice, right? So many people have kind of reinforced the thing uh, that it's it's very important that you find your own path in life, right? Mm. Uh, because you know um, what I, at least in my case, and I think in everybody's case, right? We all have our own unique experiences, and so those unique experiences make us who we are, right? So it's uh, it's kind of crazy to then look at somebody else i mean it's good to have mentors and it's good to have people to look up to but it's really not a good idea to try to photocopy somebody else's life right? mm -hmm. so so i think it's very important to appreciate and be happy about what you've achieved in your life because it's very important to you know to what we call bootstrap your own self right because the it, the world out there you need to be your first uh, champion right so, so I think that's that's very important. So uh, that was one of the best advices I got was to basically, you know, trust yourself, believe in yourself, and of course, you know, that self belief also should give you the confidence yeah. to really do the best that you can. Right? The, don't be half-assed in anything. Because yes. if you're going to be half-assed, don't even. It's not even worth Bother, it's not yeah. Work. yeah. So, so don't Bother. do ten things. Do you know just a few things, but do them well. And don't do them because you, you want somebody else to appreciate it. Do them because you want to 
enjoy doing it, right? Yeah, make it and, and hopefully, you know, uh, try to have more moments in life that are those kinds of experiences. Because unfortunately, and it's easy to say because, you know, we have works and jobs, but nobody's forcing it. Actually, one of the things that I want to scream out to the pandemic is millions of people have given up their jobs and they have found alternative livelihoods, yes. right? Mm -hmm. They realize family is important, like what you were saying, you know, leaving Toronto, moving into the countryside. Yeah. Uh, working virtually, starting their own business. People, entrepreneurship is booming right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and people are breaking those shackles of corporate life, whatever, you know, the, nobody put a, it's, it's all in our head, right? Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, they're calling well, it the great resignation, the whole yeah. movement of people quitting their jobs during the pandemic. Yeah, Very but it's it's our, it's our well-being that we need to prioritize yes right? and i think that's happening that shift is definitely happening yeah Great. so i think so, for me that moment happened maybe i'm gonna say gosh maybe about 20 years ago or so yeah mm -hmm. wow amazing so what was the most and i know i'm sure you have uh, plenty of books but the most influential book you know that uh, you've uh, you've read you know, it's crazy because I'm right now sitting here looking at all of these books piled up in front of me, and there are a lot of them. Uh, yeah. And, but but just to kind of maybe tie back to our conversation about soil. Yeah. Right? Sure. So one of the books that really helped me when I was uh, starting my PhD and kind of looking at how did uh, what impacted the soil and what impact did that have on human society? Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's a very good book called "The Violence of the Green Revolution." Mm. Uh, by Vandana Shiva, right? Okay, great. So Vandana Shiva, of course, if you just Google Vandana Shiva, I think she has a website as well. And uh, Navdanya is her organization, Navdanya, and that's another place you can go, what you're talking about, saving seeds. So that's really the organization and the person. So, you know, indigenous seeds. And of course, there's many other people in India doing it. But uh, yeah, Vandana Shiva's book was influential because she really documented the how this green revolution that was introduced in the 60s and 70s the introduction of hybrid seeds this genetic mm -hmm. modification that process started in india in the punjab right so mm -hmm. this is the most fertile land probably in the world a land of five rivers and suddenly you know cancer started happening mm. and of course there was a lot of violence so she made that connection between the agrarian economy's distress and the social problems that started happening, right? So to me, it's a very important kind of book because it connects obviously the importance of soil, mm -hmm. our ecosystem, but also that uh, that's only what part of the solution, right? The big, there's an equally important part, which is our social relations, the how we can live together as communities, because you know it's very easy to get divided and ruled yes. because many politicians are very good at doing that. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's very important that people come together, despite our differences, despite our, you know, whatever differences in, you know, religion, perspective, doesn't matter. But I think we have to respect that difference and, and try to come together for the things that really matter, right? So, so I think, to me, that book was very good in that sense. And talking about really how healing the soil can be the way to also heal our community yes. kind of differences, right? That is so true. I love that. Definitely pick that up. Definitely. And like you, I do have a stack of books that I'm going to get to eventually one day. <laughs> so tell me, what are your top three self-care actions 
non-negotiable that you need to do maybe every day, every other day, in the morning, in the evening. Tell us, share us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so definitely for me, self-care is that I do spend at least, you know, maybe half an hour, at least. Some days it can be a little bit more, but the minimum is like about 30 minutes that I do like meditation and, you know, nice. zone out in the morning. And usually it's really good just that alone time, mm -hmm. uh, plus the meditation, plus kind of thinking and focusing, you know, what what is, what am I going to do today? What What is, you know, yeah, <clears throat> again, not to stress too much, but actually to de-stress and, and kind of get your energy going, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> nice. So that's your morning routine. It's in the morning. Yeah, that's my, so that, that would be, Basically, and of course, my cup of coffee, which <laughs> got got started a little bit later. Yeah. Um, yeah, nice. and um, yeah, uh, and of course, I have, I do stay very organized. So I do actually make a list of things that I need to do that day, mm -hmm. and so those are the three things that I'm going to do. So usually happens with my coffee right after I've done my meditation, and so then the rest of the day begins. Right. Amazing. So those three things. Very nice, very nice. So, um, can you just share with us what, uh, where people can find you if they want to connect with you? Because I think there was a bit of a lag. If you want to just um, tell us where the best place to follow you and the amazing work that you're doing. Sure. So, probably the best place to follow me would be on Twitter okay. uh, at uh, Sanjay underscore Lanka. Okay. And uh, probably if you Google Sanjay Lanka on Twitter, I, I don't think there's too many other Sanjay Lankas. Okay, that's easy then. Awesome. Yeah. So I will share um, some of those um, studies in the show notes as well. And um, any final words for our, our listeners? Uh, yeah, you know, prioritize your health and your well-being. Uh, and, you know, it's actually we are not powerless, right? Yes. So even if you have a little bit of a room, even if it's an apartment with a small balcony, yes. <clears throat> you know, it's important to just grow that one a uh, thing of herb or, or, you know, just even a flower, right? Mm -hmm. uh, something to, because it's life and trust me, it can help us feel better because another thing right now is many people might be in a situation where they're disconnected from other people. They haven't been physically close to anybody else. And so it can be stressful. Uh, I mean, without knowing we are going through a lot. And so I would, the last thing I would tell people is, you know, look out for yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. Be your friend as well, right? I mean, we need friends outside, but we need to be our own friend, right? Yes, first. So, actually, so, so yeah. love yourself too a little bit. Don't be too hard on yourself. Take care. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. Lovely words for a self-care goddess podcast. Very, very fitting to take care of yourself first and love yourself first so that you can express that love for others. So thank you. Those are beautiful words. Thank you so much for such an enlightening, really, really um, beautiful information, um, succinct and so many goodies in there. I just, I'm going to go back and listen to this and I want to look at those studies as well and, and share some of these golden nuggets um, through a blog post as well as memes on social media for sure. So thank you. Amazing information. Lovely to talk. I'm sure we'll have you on again. Um, if, if you're okay with that, it'd be a pleasure to have you on and, and sort of, you know, um, see what, what has gone, you know, if we 
if we meet within six months or a year, what sort of uh, what has advanced and give our listeners hope um, in terms of our soil health? Because like you said, and I said before, the health of our soil uh, really is not just the soil, it's human health, it's the environment, it's really um, it's critical to, to us and surviving on this beautiful planet. So thank you again for this amazing conversation. Thank and, you. Uh, I can't wait to have you on. <laughs> Ciao for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me, Rita. Great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking part of your day and sharing it with me by listening to this amazing podcast episode. I would also like to thank our sponsors, St. Lucian Seamoss. Check them out and get some awesome Seamoss at www.stlucianseamoss.co. If you enjoyed this podcast and it was helpful, please share it with your loved ones or a friend and check out SavoyaSelfCare.com for more amazing wellness tips. Please also leave us a rating now on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot and send it to info at SavoyaSelfCare.com. We will reply with a gift as a grateful thank you. If you want to upgrade your healthy living and take it to the next level, be sure to join us next week. And remember, self-care is not selfish, it's self-love. Ciao for now.